0: It is designed to help you build your own self-improvement programme and is perfect for the ADHD brain.
1: And you can get $50 off the course just by using the code SOBER, S-O-B-E-R. So if you're tired of feeling stuck and don't know where to start, listen to the I Have ADHD podcast. Oh, the kettle's boiled. Great. Perfect timing. Should we get started then? I'm Victoria Vanstone. I'm Lucy Good. And this is Sober Awkward. Right, Lucy, over to you.
2: Thanks, Vic. So whatever stage you're at on your sober journey, and Vic and I are at completely different stages, you'll know that life without booze can at times feel, what do you reckon?
1: Awkward. Lucy and I invite you to listen to our podcast where we discuss the realities of sobriety. The good, the bad, the ugly and the cringingly embarrassing. Our honest and open chats will help you discover what it really means to be sober.
2: Yes, we're here like a dodgy bottle of port from your nan's drink cabinet to take the edge off sobriety. And together we can learn how to feel the awkward and do it anyway.
1: Oh Lucy, I've got a bit of a frog in my throat. Oh, that's a great
2: start for our first
1: podcast. Oh, I know. Sorry, I've have to have a little a little cup of water before we start. I think. Can you have a little drink. Can yeah, you have a, little- a drink. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs>
2: great start! And anyway, here we are. I'm really excited about this. Actually, we've been talking about doing podcasts for a while,
1: and this is podcast episode number one. Yeah, we're in the studio, a little studio in the Sunshine Coast in Australia. I know it might sound like. You're in England. Lucy and I are both from England, obviously, but you're actually listening to us from Australia. So it's a bit like an episode of Brits Abroad, but about booze. So hopefully it's something you want to listen to. So if it is, go back and make yourself a cup of tea and settle in. Yeah, because we've got lots to talk about and we, we struggled to choose our topic for
2: today because we've got a massive list of things that we want to talk about because there's so much to chat about around alcohol and sobriety. But we finally made a decision and today's
1: topic is that awkward moment
2: when you realise alcohol ain't your mate.
1: Yeah, so as you heard, this is our very first podcast around sobriety and everything that's awkward about it. For this reason, we're going to start by discussing the different, the difficult and confronting moments when you realise booze isn't doing you any favours and is affecting your life in a negative way. What we want
2: you to take away from our podcast today is to know that you're not alone. Everyone feels awkward in those uncomfortable moments of self-realisation around drinking and as horrible as they might feel, they're the first signs that you need to make change. We're gonna tell you what they felt like for us and how we got through them to ultimately live sober lives.
1: Oh yeah, Lucy, I forgot to say as well, in our little studio here we've got our sound man Alan. Hello, Alan. Bollocks. Oh. Yeah, he's really keen to have us here recording. <laughs> it's <laughs> like having our own little Carl Pilkington with us, isn't it, Lucy? Yeah, it is. Maybe the Dalai Lama or something. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? He's he is it robed. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> listening to every word intently <laughs> yes so what we're talking about today is again those awkward moments when uh drinking you know when you realize that drinking isn't working for you anymore and for me lucy it, it came to a point when i was at home one morning um after having a big bender a big mother's group night out it was actually i remember clearly uh where all the other mums were having a nice controlled drink and i was sort of waving my legs around on the dance floor like a dead fly and using my body as a human podium, (laughs) I think was the, was the highlight of the night for everybody else. Not for me because I was in a blackout obviously, which was generally how my, how my nights out went. I was always a party girl, always the drunkest in the room at every event, social event I've ever been to. So I'd been doing that for many, many years. And my really, you know, the awkward moment that, that told me, Enough was enough was the morning after that. It was four years of me struggling and questioning my drinking after having a child. So really, I became sober curious after my first child. And then I tried to combine the two lives of, of motherhood and alcohol, the release, the, uh, you know, my reward at the end of a hard day. Um, and it all culminated in me having really bad anxiety every time I drank. But I still continued to try and moderate. And I failed miserably at that. And always ended up every, t- every night out with my head in a toilet. So I woke up one morning after feeling anxiety for about every Sunday for about four years. And I knew I'd had enough. That really was a moment where I had kind of a realization lying in bed that I can't do this anymore. I'm hurting the people I love. And most of all, I'm hurting myself on a weekly basis. And, and I felt that it was damaging my mental equilibrium. I was, I was struggling mentally every Sunday. Um, and I lied in bed that morning and started to ask myself really serious questions like, what are you doing? Like, why why are you continuing this really negative behaviour to yourself? And I remember lying there just thinking, why? Why am I doing this? And who have I become? This isn't the person I'm supposed to be. This isn't the mother I'm supposed to be. Um, and I remember lying in bed like I did every Sunday and just thinking, gosh, this has got to change. And I walked into the lounge after feeling the moment of awkwardness and went plodded out there in my dressing gown, probably smelling a little bit like vomit because I think I had regurgitated a, a yummy kebab from the Kebabra <laughs>
2: takeaway. Oh, lovely. Very sexy.
1: Yeah. Sexy, sexy look. And yeah, I remember saying to my husband, look, I, I'm, I'm struggling. I can't do this anymore. This, this drinking thing isn't working for me. Binge drinking has had its day and I, I've realised over those four years that I couldn't stop my my own behaviour myself. I was drinking myself to oblivion every time I went out and I wasn't solving any of my own problems. So that's when I said to my husband, I think I need to reach out for professional help. And I know, Lucy, your story is a little bit different to mine. Like I I had a real moment where I said, right, this has got to change. Um, And it, it was a real sort of light... You know, a light bulb moment for me um, that a lot of things had led up to that moment. But for you, I know it was a little bit different. Can you tell us all about that?
2: Yeah, well, um, I'm almost a little bit jealous of your awkward moment. Uh, and, of my,
1: and of my good looks.
2: <laughs> yeah, and the, and the vomit smell. Oh yeah, sorry, as well. that's, that's, that, gone, that that's I gone. am definitely <laughs> jealous of. No, but I can imagine having that specific um, awkward moment when you question your alcohol and decide to make that change, being so clear and having so much clarity about what that was for you, which was that morning when you walked out into your living room and spoke to your husband about it, as something that you can hold on to and look back on over the period of, of struggling to become sober and that gives you strength to keep moving forward because you've got that to hold on to. I look back over my drinking career yeah (laughs) probably not the right word for it and I would say I've had a heap of awkward moments of course I have where I've thought oh my god I I can't remember what I did last night but I know it was awful and I shouldn't have done it that should have been my awkward moment um there was hundreds of them hundreds if not thousands really over 25 years of drinking really heavily but I can't pinpoint the exact one that made me really think I've got to stop doing this. Maybe it was just happening every time and it had become a pattern where I would just wake up and think I really need to stop doing this. I got to the point where I didn't feel I could give up and I had resigned myself to carry on drinking. I'd tried a number of different things to help me give up. I'd read the books. I tried AA. Um, I'd moved from England to Australia, hoping that that would would, would would curb the drinking, but it didn't. It's just one pub to another, isn't it? Well, it really is. And yep. I mean, the drinking culture in Australia is different to the drinking culture in England, but it's just the same at the end of the day. Yeah, Drinking is normal and it's almost expected. So for me, there were lots of rock bottoms, lots of really uncomfortable questions but instead of dealing with them, I avoided them and I created a world around myself, which allowed me to drink. And to do that, I did things such as I always hung out with people who drunk as much as me, if not more. Um, and I just, I just sort of padded out my life with drinking paraphernalia that allowed me to carry on doing what I was doing. And it was a circle of drinking and self-loathing. So yeah. I didn't get that particular awkward moment, there were so many of them, they just merged into one hideous
1: sort of 15 years of trying to give up drinking. Yeah, it's funny how as you say we surround ourselves with people who are doing the same thing so therefore if if you're not an extreme drinker i think like me and lucy i mean we were big drinkers we were party girls binge drinkers that always had an excuse to, to you know be cracking open the wine but because we weren't so far down the track that we were passed out in a gutter somewhere um, it's hard to reach out for help or it's hard to, to recognize even that you have a problem. Um, for you, you surrounded yourself with, um, people that drank. I did too. And I know that I, I, cre- I created my drinking environment. So even mm. if there was a pile of mud on the ground, I could bring a bottle of whiskey and some fairy lights and I'll be right, let's party. And it took me a long time to realize that I was the one creating that environment. I was the one creating the culture because we could spend all our lives blaming all these other things, couldn't we? But it's actually us at the end of the day that's reaching out for the bottle, reaching out for the fairy lights and, and putting them together to make a party. And mm. I managed to do that wherever I was, whether I was traveling, whether I was on a mother's group night out or whether I was at the pub with mates. And that's a really interesting thing about normalising alcohol within society is that, it makes it easy. And and if you don't go along with the norm, that's when you stick out like a sore thumb like we do now because <laughs> we're the ones that have chosen to take this healthier path. It's really a fascinating topic, that, about creating our own environment. Oh, it
2: really is. And um, wh- when you were talking then, Vicky, I was thinking about how sometimes you go out with people and you say, oh, whenever I go out with this person, I end up getting so drunk. And you're just blaming somebody else. Yeah. And that person, however much they drank, drunk, yeah. they weren't forcing... Down your throat. Yeah. Um, but you choose to hang out with them because it normalizes your own behavior. So I totally agree with what you're saying there, Vic. But what I think is really interesting is that we've both talked about what our awkward moments were when we started questioning our drinking, and yours and mine are just so different. So for anybody listening who's thinking, what will my awkward moment be? Have I maybe had my awkward moment? Don't think that it's got to fit into a certain box. We're all unique. We're all so different. We all have different drinking habits and different lives. So I think when you become sober, you do look back and think, where was that point at which I started questioning my drinking? And you can see it with more clarity when you have moved forward on your sober journey. So just to point out to anybody listening that, That awkward moment can be any number of different things. And we've just pointed out ours. Um, But I think the really important thing to discuss here, because certainly for me, I know you did it as well, Vic, but not for as long as me. I managed to ignore those moments for so long and not see them for what they were. Yeah, uh, red flags flying very, very high with fireworks coming out the top, and um, that my drinking was out of control. And I think that's a really normal thing. You did it to an extent, I did it to a bigger extent. So yeah. I just want to talk about why and how we managed to ignore such important feelings that are really telling us that we need to take a different path in life.
1: What, what do you think? Well, I ignored so many things because I it, drinking was so ingrained in me from being a child. That's all I ever, It was always my sort of deluded destiny to become a massive drinker. <laughs> it was like growing up with three other siblings that were older than me, so they were all drinking before I was, and all I wanted to do was sort of join in the cheerful pandemonium. That's all I could think of doing was to, to be like them, join the party. My parents were big partiers a social sort of drinking, a very frivolous type of drinking. There was no alone drinking, you know, no commit, you know, people commiserating and drinking. It was more like let's party and have a good time and connect. So for me, I never saw the dark side of drinking. It was always something I wanted to join in. So for me, seeing outside of that, my entire life was almost impossible. Like it was so ingrained within my being being a drinker that i could not imagine being a non-drinker so every wake up call that happened like you lucy i ignored because it i i it just added to my life it was just a story that i added a punchline to um my classic one being the night i blew my finger off with a firework in thailand you know that became a story that i added onto my you know repertoire of funny stories all of the crazy things that happened when i was drinking gave me Story in the pub next day, which gave me a personality almost. So for me, not drinking was like me saying, Here, have my personality, and I'm gonna become this boring person, which of course isn't the case. And and that's the awkward moment right there is finding out who you are between that party person and this sober person. There's a big sort of space, I call it like a a space between a joke and a punchline. It's like an awkward area where you're waiting for somebody to laugh. I mean, sobriety is like a kind of never ending tumbleweed moment where you're waiting for the laugh and it doesn't happen <laughs> because like you're you're wanting to get that high, but that high is never going to happen again. So, yeah, there's so many things I ignored, Lucy. I mean, a million things I could list but I never considered them to be that bad because I wasn't homeless, having lost everything. I just said, yes, I drink like everybody else. And and that's the end of it. So I'm never, ever going to get help for it. So as you did, I ignored things for many, many years. Yeah. And looking back now, um, it, being sober
2: and thinking about some of the things that we've done, when I mean, we often have conversations and I can actually remember one conversation we were having one day in the Karvik and I was talking to you about a, uh, night out one of the many where I oh no I think I was talking about when I came in into work one morning and I was so hung over that I went into the toilet and threw up all the way down my
1: clothes and my shoes yeah. and had to go home early and I remember saying and- yeah like is it normal to be covered in vomit I mean I've been covered in vomit for 26 years and now I'm never covered in vomit anymore although I did have gastro a couple of weeks ago I was like oh it's like the old good old days <laughs> I can imagine. Would you sort of get a little bit... Um, yeah, I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah all, yeah, yeah, really nostalgic. <laughs> I put on that some vomit. house music, I covered in vomit.
2: <laughs> we keep going back to vomit here, yeah, but I sorry. suppose you would in a, a podcast about alcohol. But that moment in the car for me with you was a, a real interesting moment because you just said, I had said to you, oh yeah, so what I did was I vomited all down myself and onto my shoes and you said, just stop. Just think about what you just said. Can you believe that we were even doing that? And we actually did a podcast the other day with Club Soda UK and a lady on there was saying exactly the same thing. So going out and throwing up or going into work in the morning in a really good job where you've got lots of responsibilities, you've got kids that you've dropped off at school in the morning and throwing up all down yourself have become normal. Yeah. And that is how you create a world around yourself that fits perfectly with alcohol. And it's not just a world, you create a whole persona. Mm. And that's why when you become so sober, you wonder who's left at the end of it, because you are your drinking, you've created your world and who you are around your drinking. And we do it all so that we can hide away from these awkward questions that we're we're asking ourselves that ultimately lead us to realise that we need to moderate or stop drinking. And just to focus a little bit more on those exact questions, I know we've talked about our awkward moments, which are quite different. And we've talked about why it is that we avoided those moments for so long, and our very clever ways of avoiding them for so long. But can you tell me what those actual questions
1: were that you asked yourself at those times of realisation? Yes, yeah, so I think the main one was that what I was trying to continue a drinking pattern was why can't I drink like a normal person? Why Why is it that I see my friends going for a jog on a Sunday morning and I'm lying in my bed unable to move my head for 15 hours um, in between you know visits to the bathroom i couldn't understand like why i wasn't able why can't i do this that was really one of the main questions and that was the problem that's why i didn't stop because I just, I was just trying to learn. I, I wanted to train myself mm. to be a good boozer. It was a massive mistake I made for many, many years. It was like, oh yeah, I'll have waters between wines and then I'll do dry July. And then I'll have paracetamol before I go to bed and a pint of water. I was trying all the time to be an excellent boozer so that I wasn't going to get anxiety the next day. And it just, it just wasn't reality for me because I mean, I would go out and I'd see friends sipping on a glass of wine when I'd be up, you know, they'd had that one glass the whole evening and I would have been to the bar five times. And I used to stand at the bar looking back at my friends going, you know, how come they're all sitting there all normal, looking all pretty still. And I'm all blotchy with red wine stained teeth, like wanting to go to a nightclub. I couldn't understand like where I was going wrong, but actually it was because I was drinking five times more than everybody else. And I and I saw them, and I wanted to be like them, and I couldn't. So that was one of the main questions I asked myself in those moments: was why can't I drink like a normal person? Why do I keep doing this myself? And the one that really led me to to seek help was why am I being a shit parent? Because of course, on Sundays I wasn't wasn't able to function as a normal human being, and I'd had to listen to my darling husband take my children out for the day. I used to hear the front door slam and realized that they were going off to have a day without me. Um, And that was really the question that I I realized that I needed to seek professional help for because I didn't want to be that one. I didn't want to be that person. I didn't want to be that mum. So that was really the question that stung my heart. The other ones had been going on for years, but that was the one that 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 made me reach out for help. Yeah, when you realise that your drinking is affecting
2: your children, Absolutely. it's just devastating. And yeah. what's interesting is that you realise that when your kids were quite young, but I actually carried on drinking right through until their teenage years. And they do get more affected when they're older because they're, they're more aware of what you're doing.
1: You can't ho- hide that glass of wine I, I just I just reminded me of something, Lucy, that we talked about before was you telling us about your daughter writing you a letter. I think we could talk about that quickly now. Like um, that that realization is, is going to be a lot of women out there, especially the listening to this podcast and men as well, who have reached a point in their drinking where it's affecting their children and especially if their children are your kids age, where they're they're starting to know what drinking is and they're starting to go out a bit more. What was it? Can you tell us that your daughter said to you when you when you I mean, Lucy's been sober for six months, I've been sober for three years. So we're, we're on a different page, but we're still in that awkward area of, of giving up drinking where we're learning to socialise and we are having to have these conversations with our kids. What was it it your daughter said? Yeah, so I've got two
2: daughters, one of whom has just turned 15 and the oldest is 17 and it was the youngest daughter. In fact, both of them sent me a message um, and they were both really sweet and supportive of me giving up drinking and honestly, they are so proud of me, I will just say that. But Ruby, in her message to me, said some things along the lines of how she didn't worry about me all the time. Um, she wrote that message shortly after I had gone out for the night with a girlfriend and fallen off a wall and given myself um, a black eye. Um, and she said that she was always worried about when I went out, that she stayed awake to see if I'd come home and whether I was in bed. And more often than not, I wasn't. I didn't come home till the very, very early hours. Um, and she just said she worried about me all the time. So she, I'd really reverse the roles. Mm. Um, between parent and child um, she was looking out for me um, and I didn't do that really really heavy drinking a lot but I did it enough that she was I think she was constantly alert as to what was going to happen next with mum I mean I used that they, they've seen me in all sorts of states and I, I can only hope that it serves to put them off drinking yeah. <laughs> in excess. That's, that's first that's what down I always say you have to call
1: me in 18 years when my child is phoning me from a jail yes. cell I'm like <laughs> obviously I hope my legless legacy lives on so that the children don't drink but we'll have to see how that goes well, hopefully our podcast will be on for 18 years Lucy and I'll oh, yeah. be able to report back and <laughs> see whether my children are are you know are not big drinkers we'll yeah, see I'll be, I'll be, be interesting be, I, won't it
2: I'll be a very smug sober person if I'm still sitting here in 18
1: years talking about sobriety I hope so. <laughs> um, what were the questions that came up going back to the questions you yeah. were asking you know when you're feeling that awkward moment of realization where your drinking isn't working for you anymore it's not your best buddy what were the questions that you asked yourself Lucy look
2: very similar to you around moderation Vic I just tried so bloody hard to be a normal drinker exactly the same I'm, I'm I was sitting here nodding in agreement as you were talking earlier because yeah I'd look at people in the bar and I'd think how are they so together they're still drinking but they're not overdoing it and I have to admit embarrassingly I thought they were a bit boring mm. which is just so ridiculous I feel stupid saying it but they weren't they were just sensible they were enjoying a drink yeah um, but they weren't overdoing it like we always were and I think we're going to do a whole new well a whole different podcast about moderation aren't we because yeah definitely <laughs> that's a massive issue I think yeah.
1: and also we can do an, another podcast about how I how we hated sober people before we were sober yes, ourselves that's I mean it's a brilliant topic <laughs> I didn't want people remembering my night if I couldn't I didn't want anybody there who was going to be pointing at me on that dance floor when I was rolling around, I didn't want someone coming to me the next day and telling me what I was doing. So being around sober people was very, very confronting for me, which I guess is another awkward thing that we can discuss another time. And and again, it takes us back to what we were
2: discussing earlier on about surrounding ourselves by people who were the same as
1: us with their drinking, if not, and ideally worse, because it made us look better. Also, I berated people in the pub if they weren't having a drink. I'm very guilty of that. And it's one of the things I really regret now in my sobriety is that I was so awful to people that didn't drink. I mean, people aren't like that to me, so I don't know why I had the right to do that. But even if someone was really ill, I'd be like, come (laughs) on, have a hot toddy. I'll put some whiskey in it. I'd be like, yeah, go on a couple of glasses of wine. You forget you've got a cold. I was that person. So I... You can. I mean, I do really regret that, but there's nothing I can do about it. So I, I do apologise to everybody that I did that to, because that was an awful thing to do, and I, <laughs> a public apology a public on the apology. First podcast. Put, yeah. <laughs> there might be quite a few apologies on this podcast series
2: uh, yeah, about all, probably, the, yeah. all the awful and disgraceful and embarrassing things might we've be. done in our time. Yeah, yeah. maybe yeah. we should
1: just do one big apology one day and just say <laughs> to all the exes, to all those awful one night stands that we had. Sorry about that. Yeah, to all the bartenders who we begged for another drink when we could barely stand. To the police officers (laughs) that arrested us. I mean, we won't give away too much now, but I promise there are a few good
2: stories coming up in the next few podcasts. There are some amazing stories. And just following on from what you said about that, I can remember going out and perhaps my friend I was going out with had decided not to drink that night. That was such a downer, going out with even if I could drink. And in fact, what's so interesting now is that I'm exactly the same. If I go out with a group of people who are drinking, <laughs> I feel more comfortable once they've got a few drinks under their belts or they're a little bit tipsy. That actually makes me feel better being around them like yeah. that. So that's just, there are a lot of habits that we need to get out of as we, um, as we take our sober journey because these habits are so ingrained.
1: Yeah. And that's what we're going to be doing on this podcast, really. I know we're going a bit off track now, but like we want to talk about the reality of it and how it feels to be a sober person in a world full of drinkers a world a world that's really saturated in alcohol because we were those people mm. so it's really important to get a point of view say you know we we know sober is brilliant and and me and Lucy will definitely be telling you that on you know a weekly basis that we do love being sober but we will also be very honest and say that it is very hard sometimes as well it is very confronting and these awkward moments are very much worth it so we will, be go- we will be going into that a bit more about about how awkward sobriety can be for everybody. Mm. Um, so- I, yeah, I was just going to
2: say, Vicky, that what's quite interesting about my questions was that my questions were your questions. I just spent a lot longer blocking them out. So um, a lot of people are blocking out those questions. Um, if you're listening in and you feel, yeah, I probably have been asking myself those questions, but I'm blocking them out it's perfectly normal to do it. That's yeah. what we do. That's what Vicky and I did. And everybody that we talked to in our sober group, exactly the same, aren't they, Vic? We just block out the questions. We don't want to deal with it. We don't know how to deal with it. We haven't got the tools. And again, that's the kind of thing we want to be able to say, look, what, what, you're, you're perfectly normal. You know, so many people do drink too much. So many people have problems. It's just about understanding what those red flags are and to accept them and to reach for help.
1: And actually those questions, those those questions, mean that you are sober curious it's a term that's being flung around quite a lot now there seems to be two scenes uh appearing from this sobriety community which is a kind of aa scene which which would work for work for everybody as well and there's kind of this alcohol free scene it, and wherever you sit on this vast alcohol spectrum you would be accepted into any of these groups because i think you'd find that even though your drinking might not seem extreme, you will have real similarities with somebody who is at a meeting. Um, and it's just understanding and realizing that there is this long line of, of um, addiction, I suppose, where I didn't think I fitted on there until I got some questions answered and then I was like, actually, I do. And when I started to hear other people's stories, I was like, actually, that is me that even though I think, gosh, that person's an alcoholic. And I have this label attached to that, which is this image of somebody, you know, this, this terrible thing that's happened to someone who's probably gone through a lot of trauma and has lost their family and lost their house. And all, you know, that word has a lot of connotations, which are really, really negative. Um, and it still doesn't sit really great mm. with me, to be honest. I'd, I don't know whether I'd call myself an alcoholic. I'd say I'm a person that's choosing an alcohol-free life, but an alcoholic who was further down the line would probably say that definitely I am. It's just that I don't want that label attached to me. So we're definitely going to talk a lot more about that as well. Um, so yes, yeah, sober curious is this word that, that it means you're questioning your drinking and it means that you think your drinking is having any sort of negative repercussions throughout your life. So just to have a label for yourself, it's, it can actually sometimes be quite soothing almost to, mm. to feel like you fit in somewhere, even if you're only having one glass of wine a night and you can't stop that one glass and you're questioning it, you're still a sober, curious person. Um, It's quite a gentle term. It is a very gentle term and, and you can, it doesn't, it's not uncomfortable upon my shoulders if I say I'm a sober, curious person or an alcohol free person. Just because I feel that alcoholism word, it's a bit outdated now because we're starting to realize that this long line of alcoholism is, it's, it's very vast and there are two ends of it and there's a million people that sit on it. Um, So it is is hard to come to terms with you perhaps sitting on there. But once you do, that means you're ready to start this new sober journey, which has its own (laughs) downfalls, of course, which is probably why people do relapse. But but identifying who you are is a really important part. And it's really awkward, but identifying that you are perhaps do perhaps have a problem with alcohol is the start.
2: And even to say, rather than say, I've got a problem with alcohol, to say I'm sober curious is nicer. And then once you know you're sober curious, you can then reach out for resources a lot easier because there are books around what books called sober curious yeah ruby warrington
1: is amazing yeah good start Yeah. yeah
2: and um but if you
1: tap sober curious
2: um into the internet there's so many resources out there because i think so many as you say vicky there's such this long space of whether or am i an alcoholic or am i not what kind of alcoholic am i what extent as my drinking got to. You don't need to worry about that. Sober Curious can be anything from one drink to really, really struggling and getting to the point that we were at. But just before we finish this podcast, because we've talked a lot about how we felt and what got us to the point where we had to question ourselves and our drinking. I just want to finish up today um, with how we actually dealt with the awkward moments when they came to us, because I will admit quite freely that I didn't deal with them. I, I did everything that I could, as we've talked about in detail, all the different things that we do to mask those, those moments. We don't deal with them until they become super regular. And we absolutely have to say, for example, you get to the point where you can't care for your kids or well, you can't get up and go to work in the morning, or you're spending all your money on alcohol, or you're drinking so much that the three days of your life are totally ruined because you can't get up off the couch. And I talk from Bank holidays experience. in England, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and they're not even bank holidays because you haven't planned it that well. No, the, plan- the plan- <laughs> unplanned ones, the Lucy's,
1: are the, the best ones, aren't they? Yeah,
2: exactly. But yeah, when your life has got to that point where you can't deal with it, How do we get past them and how do other than accepting that? Yes, we are sober curious and we can maybe take a step in that direction. Can you just talk to me about how you dealt with those awkward moments?
1: Well, I had that from that moment in the lounge with my husband and admitting the fact that I needed professional help was really that step. It was really the step into a new life for me because I had to deal with it. I had to confront it and I had to go, actually, I can't do this on my own. So then I didn't really know what to do, Lucy, to be honest. I had no idea. I, all I did was go and look on the internet straight away and look up somebody to help me with addiction issues because I just thought at that stage, well, I'm just a bit of a binge drinker. I'm just a mum that can't slow down. I didn't really consider myself to be an alcoholic or even sober curious. I just thought I need help with moderation at that point because mm. I still couldn't consider a life without alcohol, even though it was totally destroying my life. I still couldn't see beyond the bottle, which was still quite frightening when I think about it now. But So I know I would have loved to go and, you know, lick, you know, toad's backs in the Amazon or done (laughs) ayahuasca with a shaman where I was like taught not how to drink and swallowed my own ego and whatever you do out there. I mean, I would have loved to have gone to Tibet and sat with some monks and in a temple on my own. There's so many things I would have loved to have done to get sober, but actually – you know, when you've got two little kids at home, those things aren't even possible. And even rehab wasn't even on the cards because I wasn't at that stage where people were dragging me to, to, you know, to an institution or to a rehab facility or even, you know, there was there was no one else involved. It was just me and my husband and my kids and me needing help. So actually I just contacted a local therapy um, office in near where I live and I phoned up the lady and she said, Oh, what can I do for you? And I remember just saying, Look, I'm a bit of a, a bit of a binge drinker. I'm just a party girl. Like I but I feel like I can't slow down. And I thought she'd just say, Don't worry, love, you'll be fine and put the phone down. But actually she just said, See you Monday. And that's where my sobriety journey started was, was by reaching out and, and finding the right person. I mean, that's really important. You need to find someone that resonates with you and somebody that understands you. And with her, I just felt like she had a story of her own, you know, underneath her sharp suit. I just felt like we had a connection and that was all I needed was a little bit of a connection with somebody that understood me and was ready to hear my story. And I did 12 weeks of therapy with her and, you know, a lot happens in a in a therapy session. I mean, but it is like your life is like a pack of cards, and you lay it out and work out what's good or bad. That's really what therapy is. And I learned to take away the good bits and throw away the bad bits. and And reaching out for help is really the only way to solve your own problems. What about you? What did you do? Oh, I think I know what you do, didn't I? Do <laughs> oh, you want me to say? Uh, uh, I think I might have a little role in this. <laughs> I'm proud of myself. Well, in, in fact,
2: that's how, how we met, didn't we, Vic? Yeah. Um, Uh, Vicky's got the website, Drunk Mummy, Sober Mummy. And I had been struggling so much and trying to give up drinking and trying all sorts of different tools and not having any luck with them and asking myself these questions, having recognised that they were valid questions that I needed to be asking myself. You then hit another wall because it's like, okay, I've accepted these awkward questions but I need somebody to validate them for me. And I need somebody to say, it's okay, there is a solution here. I feel like I was in a dark room and I was just reaching out in all different directions and trying different things. And I had actually looked to go into rehab. And like you, Vicky, I'd hoped for a spiritual experience or some sort of a miracle. that bolt of you- lightning. <laughs> yeah, Come on, sober me up. <laughs> yeah. Certainly when I've got that hangover to knock me White out lightning. for a bit. <laughs> As a cider, I think, of an English booze reference. (laughs) Often a white lightning would have been perfect with a hangover. (laughs) But, yeah, that just shows how bad it was getting. But, yeah, I needed support, same as you. And I think that we all reach for support in different ways. And when you speak to people who have become sober, um, some people loved AA and that was amazing for them. Other people have tried it. I've tried it. You tried it. Vic, it wasn't for us. Um, But everybody accepts support and support works for them in different ways. For me, it was Vicky um, we just we, we met up through our work because we've both got blogs and, and Vicky had asked to write for me and I just needed to meet somebody who was sober and was still fun. There was still a whole load of character and life in that person. I needed somebody I could relate to. And I could relate to Vicky because we came from similar, similar parts of England, exactly the same upbringing at the same time. Um, uh, we, the eighties, yeah. um, the crazy drinking time and the crazy partying times going through the nineties yeah, in growing London up clubbing. I,
1: yeah. Laddock culture. Yeah.
2: But there in front of me in this coffee shop was a lady drinking her tea and eating her porridge, lady. but still Thoroughly enjoying her life. Um, so I, I became connected to Vicky and that was the support that I needed. And Of course, she has um, also got a sober curious group on the Sunshine Coast. So I kind of got a double whammy in my support because I was able to meet some other ladies at the same time. Just sitting down and talking to people who feel the same as you after you spent 15 years thinking you're alone is enlightening. Hmm. It changes everything. I stopped drinking three days after meeting Vicky and I've now been six months sober. That's so amazing. that just shows you the power of one person in your yeah. life. And you might have to dig around. I had yeah. to dig around a bit to find Vicky. I went to AAs. I went to, I've been to a number of different counsellors, Um, but I just found what I needed eventually. So you just got to persevere. So that's how I dealt with those awkward questions in the end. It took 15 years. Yeah. Um, and I brought my kids up as a drunk. Yeah. But. Uh, I am sober now and I'm so proud of that. Um, and I often think to myself, what if we hadn't have met? Yeah. I guess I would have found what I, I needed eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're counting the day. Yeah, oh,
1: yeah. God, God, imagine <laughs> if we hadn't met. Would it be wonderful? Yeah. <laughs> but, I must say, though, very quickly, I... I sound like I went from being sober just to feeling amazing. That's not the case at all for me. My sobriety, even after my counselling session, I did feel very alone for about 18 months because I kept my, my stopping drinking very, very private. Um, It was just between me and my husband and my children. I felt like I wanted to keep it within those walls. And actually it wasn't until 18 months after stopping drinking that I, found the sober community, which is at the tip, you know, so on your keyboard, you just have to mm. tap the word sober curious in or on Instagram. And there's thousands, if not millions of people out there who are asking those same questions about themselves. You are mm. not alone. And it's really important to, to reach out no matter what you do or who it is, whether it's AA, a friend, a partner, or a therapist or a psychologist, whatever you do, I think it's important to say that you are worthy of help and that your problem, even though it might not seem extreme, is going to change your life if, if you get help for it. And that you, even if it doesn't feel like you've had loads of trauma, dealing with what's going on is going to help you. It's going to help your family and it's going to help everybody around you. So it's you are worthy of that and you do matter and your health does matter. And there are people out there that care. And it's really nice to, to realise that in sobriety is that actually there are a lot of people who are exactly the same. And it is a bit of a domino
2: effect, isn't it? Because I've actually helped another friend of mine with an addiction since I've stopped. So it's about if you can do it, you can then move on to help other people. And that's super empowering. And just to add on very quickly before we sort of go through a bit of a conclusion of what we've talked about today If you do reach out for support and you don't find it straight away, please don't give up Mm. because like I say, support is very unique. It's a very personal thing. You might see a counsellor and think that just didn't work. There's no hope for me. That's not the case. It's just about finding the right person and it's better to do it in numbers. Try and find a sober group or an AA meeting where there's a number of people there and hopefully you'll connect with at least one person. And then if you can go through the journey with somebody else, yeah, um, you, you are much more likely to have success.
1: Yeah. And also it's nice to have someone to chat to, like, mm. you know, you and I, we love having these long... Well, that's where these podcasts yeah, yeah. came from. We said we may as
2: well record our chat. We chats. may as well record our <laughs> <them>, um, <laughs> gibbering rubbish that we go on about. <laughs> someone out there might listen. Yeah. Um, but look, let's just go through um, a bit of a conclusion of what we've talked about today and what we want people to take away from this podcast. So the first point is that... Awkward moments when we first question our drinking can look really different for everybody. So don't think there's a certain way to address these awkward moments.
1: Yeah. And the reason it takes so long to search for answers is because we create comfortable drinking environments that allow us to hide the truth of our dysfunctional habits. I mean, I've done it for years you know, I could make a party anywhere and I, my drinking sort of got diluted into the crowd like a dodgy punch. I mean, <laughs> it's very, very easy to hide something that, that is dysfunctional because you don't want everybody to know. And sometimes you don't even know because it is so normalized. So it's just trying to look beyond that, really. Yeah. And the kind of awkward questions you might be asking yourself, things like,
2: why do I keep doing this to myself? well, why do I keep blacking out? But yours might be different. Like Vicky was saying, she would wake up and think, why am I smelling a vomit? Yeah. Or you might think, why can't I get into work in the morning? Why and have I got one finger less than yes, I had the day before? Exactly. Why am I in a police cell? Yeah. You know, so the, And they don't have to be dramatic. They no. can be quite small. So just remember that your questions
1: will be different to ours. Asking these questions means that you are sober curious, which ultimately means you're embarking on your sober journey. Don't be scared of that. I mean, that's an amazing thing to be doing. You're you're going to be like a salmon swimming up river and it's going to feel very awkward because you're going to be going against society's flow that drinking is the way to have fun. So it is going to be hard and there are going to be ups and downs, but it's going to be okay if you stick with it.
2: Yeah, and there are many different ways to deal with these questions um, and they include ignoring them for many years like we both did. Um, But if you're going to take anything away from this podcast today, it's to listen to those questions and try and find the answers. And what we will say is that both of us needed help
1: to do this, so you probably will too. To end, here's a banger of a quote from Albert Einstein that makes us think he struggled with his drinking too. We cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. I mean, that rings true for me, Lucy. I don't
2: know about you. A hundred percent. It's one of the best quotes around stopping drinking, I reckon. Yeah, because, yeah, there was years of trying to solve my own problems and I literally could not do it on my own. You have to break the circuit. I think that was a perfect quote to end our very first podcast. Anything
1: you've got to say, Alan, about Alan the Sound Guy? No. (laughs) <laughs> I love a good insight from Alan, don't Actually, you? You can't get a word in edge No, I can't. Thank you everybody for listening and we look forward to hearing you or seeing you know We look forward to talking to you on our next podcast, which we'll hopefully record in the next week. So thank you for listening to Sober Awkward. Thank you for listening to the Sober Awkward
2: podcast. If alcohol is affecting your life in a negative way, you're struggling to moderate, or your hangovers are causing anxiety, it might be time for you to reach out for help. Contact your local doctor, a therapist, or connect
1: with a local AA or sobriety group. In fact, Vicky's got a really great one. Yeah, it's the Sober Social for Sober Curious Women. You can just search for that on Facebook. Lucy and I will both agree that even though this journey can be awkward, it's definitely worth it. And if we can do it, then you can too. For more support around sobriety, head to my website, drunkmummysobermummy.com and Lucy runs an online space to support and inspire single mums. Find out more at beanstalkmums.com.au Finally, if you've loved the Sober Awkward podcast, don't forget to
2: subscribe, rate, give a review and share it with your mates. But don't worry, we won't be angry if you don't. I might be a bit angry, Lucy. I can't say that. No, they won't mind. No,
1: it's just rude. rude. No,
2: Search Therapy Works now wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode.
3: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
0: Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com.
2: Moonpig.com